Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, uh, working through the book of Jonah. Uh, there's going to be a lot, though, of this particular prophet that we're going to go back and forth. Uh, there's, there's multiple lessons that are to be learned. And so rather than just teaching through it chronologically, uh, there are multiple lessons found in the same passages. So we're going to do the best that we can uh, to make Jonah more than a story and relevant to our own life. And I do believe that there is more than a little relevance for us. You, you pretty much already know the story of Jonah, or at least we think we do. The uh, story of a guy who doesn't do what God wants him to do. God puts him in the belly of a big whale, and he lights a candle, and the whale throws him up on shore, and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. Oh, wait, that's Pinocchio. Well, the story is very similar, but this is no fable. This narrative of Jonah would make us think that it's hyperbole or just some sort of an illustration or a simple fable. And, and also, if we're not careful, we will think that Jonah is the story of a, of a man who is in the belly of a great fish. Believe it or not, the fish is found in two verses. Okay, so this story is not about a fish. So don't be distracted by the fish. All right? The fish sometimes is, is a distraction to what God is really saying. Chapters 1 and 2, Jonah is given a command from God, but he fails to obey it. Chapters 3 and 4, he is given the same command again. This time he carries it out. So what I want to do, though, is I want to just very quickly, just for symmetry, I, I love symmetry, and I love the order and structure of the Lord, but in chapter 1 and 2, we have a story, true story. Chapter 3 and 4, we have a story, and they're exact parallels to one another. So, for instance, in chapter 1, verse 1, it starts out by saying what? What is the first words of chapter 1, verse 1? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Right? What's the first words of chapter 3? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Right? Chapter 3 and 4 is the same story as chapters 1 and 2. The context is completely different. Let me, let me break it down this way. In verse 2 of chapter 1, the message that God wants to be given is portrayed. In chapter 3, point, or three, chapter three verse 2, the message that God wants to be given is given to Jonah. In chapter 1, verse 3, is Jonah's response. In chapter 3, verse 3, is Jonah's response. In chapter 1, verse 4, the word of warning is given from God. In chapter 3, verse 4, it's the word of warning from Jonah to Nineveh. You see the, how these stories parallel each other. And it's very important as to why they do this. Chapter 5, or chapter... 1 verse 5 is the, uh, the sailor's response. In chapter 3 verse 5 is Nineveh's response. You have chapter 1 verse 6, the leader of the sailor's response. In chapter 3 verse 6, you have the response of Nineveh's leader speaking on behalf of the people. In verse 7 of chapter 1, it's the response was better than Jonah's response. In chapter 3, verse 7, the pagan's response is better than Jonah's response. It's a perfect parallel to one another. Chapter 2, all of the verses, is how God teaches grace to His prophet. Chapter 4 is how God teaches grace to His prophet. God gives Jonah a couple of opportunities to do the right thing. The stories are very similar, different context, but God's grace is the central, pivotal point of this story of how God uses His prophets to extend grace to those who do not deserve it, including the prophet that He uses. 
Now, if you think that that Jonah is a fable, and for those of you who may not have been around Connect Church for very long, uh, we do believe in the in the uh, plenary verbal interpretation of Scripture. As God gave this word, every word is inspired by God. We take it literally. Okay, so we don't. This isn't some symbol of God trying to give us a parable. And how you respond to that will and can determine how you respond to every other direct command of God in the Scripture. And I would only say uh, this, and I'm going to hit it pretty quickly because I'm not going to have a whole lot of time in this introduction this morning. But but Jesus uses Jonah as an illustration as well. Uh, the truth of it. Jesus uses Jonah a couple of times. One in particular when he talks about the parallel between as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. And so we know that Jesus took the book of Jonah very literal. Jonah was the first prophet that was sent to people outside of Israel. So this is kind of God doing a new thing, offering a new thing. In fact, if you want to put your finger in Jonah chapter 1, turn to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, or at least make a mark in your margins there to go back and read that later. It tells us that Jonah, there's another, and we know that it's the Jonah, Jonah son of Amittai, that Jonah ministered during the reign of Israel's king Jeroboam II. This is somewhere around 786 to 746 B.C. So we have a 40-year period of time that we know Jonah ministered. There he was recognized as the prophet of God to God's people. And in that text, we learn that he was at odds with God's other prophets at the time. Jonah fell in line with the, uh, uh, the king, Jeroboam, and uh, uh, Amos and Hosea both are also prophets. I'm going to get through some of the history and we'll get, we'll get to the rest of it in a minute. So a little bit for everybody this morning, all right? So Joan, uh, Amos and Hosea also ministered at the same time. And they were very critical of the king's administration because the king was looking to expand Israel's territory. And using military power to do that. And so God's prophets were opposed to Jeroboam doing that. But Jonah was all for it. Jonah was God's people's prophet. Jonah was pro-Israel. Jonah was incredibly patriotic. And so when the people got to choose, Amos and Hosea would have been God's prophets. Jonah was the people's prophet. It's very important for us to recognize that because the more you can see about a person's character and the decision, the more we'll know how much of the benefit of the doubt can we give them in an individual context, which we're going to look at over the course of the next few weeks. It's very important for us to see these things. So if we are, when now we get over to the book of Jonah, we can know that Jonah is highly partisan nationalist. Very, very zealous for his own blood. Very zealous for his own people. Jonah wants a God of his own making. A God who smites bad people and favors Jews. For instance, the wicked Ninevites destroy them. God blesses good people. For instance, Jonah. It's funny to me how Jonah is so disobedient to God and classifies himself as a good person. I wonder how often we do that. Talk about relevant. How often do we classify ourselves? If we were to ask, and really ask, be asked, are you a good or a bad person? How often we would say, oh, I'm good compared to bad. But then we would say, are you obedient to everything God says? Or are you disobedient to what God says? While we are often disobedient to God, we still classify ourselves as a good person. So when the real God shows up, not Jonah's counterfeit, the, the, the God that Jonah worships doesn't exist, except only in Jonah's mind. 
Jonah finds this real God to be an enigma because he cannot reconcile. Because of what he wants to be true and what is really true, Jonah can't reconcile a God who stands for both justice and mercy. He can't process it. How can, how can anything, anyone be full of justice and mercy? And so if Jonah is going to choose, then God's people himself gets mercy. But bad people, you, them, they get God's justice. How could God, people like Ninevites, how could God show them justice and yet give them mercy? This is one of the reasons why when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus is the perfect Jonah, full of grace and truth. He, he becomes both the just and the one who dies for us so that he can extend mercy. Jonah is painting a picture. So I would say before the word was popular or coined or really even a class of people, Jonah was the epitome of the religious Pharisees. He is a good illustration of the Pharisees. Let me just go ahead and, well, no, I'm, I'm going to hold that in my pocket for a minute, okay? So Jonah is going to speak to us if, if we'll listen. So I'll, I want to just kind of break down the few, few first verses. Uh, we'll start in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. In other words, their time is due. It's not that God is just finding out. It's that it's God saying, okay, that's enough. Verse 3. This is the worst word in Scripture. But, this is a word of disobedience. Now, we know from the story that this but is going to take Jonah from where he is to where he intends to be, not where God called him to be. And this but is very justified. Every excuse in the book. I know what God says... But, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Why? From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of of the Lord. You see how emphatic this verse is intending to show us the motivation of Jonah? The, the hoops that Jonah had to jump through to be this disobedient? So here's what we learn from the very beginning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is what God says. He says, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Preach against it because they need rebuking. God knew that they were full of sinners. Later we're going to find out. Jonah said, I don't want to go because I knew that you are full of mercy. Jonah's greatest fear is that God would forgive people he couldn't forgive. In verse 3, we see Jonah's unfortunate response there. But Jonah did what? He ran away from the Lord and headed on to Tarshish. Went down to Joppa, found a boat, paid whatever the fare would have been. Now, I'm gonna, I don't know that this always means something. We have to be careful making things mean things. But this, uh, I think it's important anyway. Jonah in Hebrew actually means dove. So when you think about dove in Scripture, what's the first thing you think about when you think about a dove? 
Oh, peace. Jonah, as you think about the dove in the New Testament that came and, and gave Jesus peace, right? Uh, who, who declares to the people the dove descending upon Jesus, and they hear the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, right? This confirmation, the dove of peace. And yet, when, when Noah sends out finally the dove, and it comes... No, it's, we, we begin to see this, this idea of, of peace, and, and that is what the dove symbolizes as peace. Jonah was to be the peacemaker, the peace giver, the peace offerer. In fact, and it says that his, he was the son of Amittai. He also says that in 2 Kings, so it's very important that we know that. Amittai, anybody know Hebrew? It means truth. And if you are a prophet... It's really good to be able to have on your business card, son of truth. Right? So we have this man who is raised in the truth, God's prophet, supposed to be bringing peace, who is disobedient to the Lord. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I'm going to be a little bit graphic, so if you can't handle... What's that word? Graphic? stuff. I just want to give you a clear picture of who the Lord is sending Jonah to. We're going to talk about it in a moment. But one of the first things that I want you to understand, there's going to be several points today. This is going to be one of them. Okay, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What did Jonah do to garner the word of the Lord? Nothing. It came to him. Right? What I want you to realize is that the word of the Lord comes to us. That's some revelation, right? The word of the Lord comes to us every day. Every day. God loves to speak. The problem is not in the speaking. The problem is in the hearing. God speaks. In fact, when nothing existed, God said... God loves to speak. And then as soon as he created Adam, he started interchanging with Adam. And then when he had Adam and Eve, he would walk with them in the cool of the garden. And what would God do? Talk with them. Often God would show up and he would talk to his people time and time again in multiple different ways. God loves to exchange conversation with us. He loves to give us direction. He is the perfect communicator. Your problem is not God's communication with you. Your problem is positioning yourself to where you can hear with obedience. Because God is always calling, always talking, always coming to us. And we have an opportunity to open this. Every time we open this, the word of the Lord comes to us. The problem is not God's absence. The problem is our obedience. When you have little kids at home, and you say to those kids, now this is not my family. My, my family have never, has never done this. Uh, <clears throat> hey, trash needs to be taken out. And hours later, you go back and what has not happened. Okay, and so then you say, I told you to take this trash out. And then what do they always say? I, I didn't hear you. Right? You ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Maybe you hear it from a spouse. I just didn't want to get too personal. <laughs> well, I didn't hear you. How easy is it to say, well, I didn't hear you, when you don't want to do what you were asked to do? In God's case, commanded to do. How often do we, well, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. And we become just like Jonah. Like little kids... We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We give ourselves all kinds of time. Let me ask you this. How many commands in Scripture do you know that God has commanded His people to obey that you would look at Him on Judgment Day and say, Oh, I didn't know that applied to me. Oh, I didn't know you were talking to me. Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, I, I always had more time. Oh, I, I was going to do that tomorrow. Oh, and give me five minutes. Oh. The problem isn't God speaking. The problem is our obedience. So it's really easy for us to say, yeah, that Jonah, he was disobedient. 
But you better make sure you're looking in the mirror because the word of the Lord comes to you just like it did to Jonah. Go to that great city because I'm aware of their sin. I wonder how many things in our own life do we know that God wants for us to do? But we're looking for a ship to Tarshish. Sometimes the reason that we don't want to do it is because we know better. We have a better plan, right? We like to convince ourselves that we know what's better. We want to know our options. If God would just speak... You've heard me say this numerous times. If God would just tell me, I want to know what God's will is so that I can determine if I want to do it or not. And you've heard me say, God is never, ever going to clarify His call to your ears until you say yes before the command. God deserves that. We want to serve a God of mercy and justice only when it's convenient for us. But when He calls us to place ourselves under authority, we like to think that we know what's best and we will choose. And sometimes someone in authority or someone with more information will come along and tell us what to do and we'll say, well, I don't want to do that. I feel like I know what's best for me. See this taking place in verse 2. It's a command. Go to that great city in Nineveh and preach against it. Well, Jonah, Jonah's God's prophet. You know, it would make sense for God's prophet to be obedient to God's command. But that's not what Jonah does. So when you understand the history of Nineveh, you might understand just a little bit more. It's the Syrian Empire uh, as well. They would, uh, they, would, they would go in from city to city. They were expanding their empire as well. They were the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at the time. And they are still to this day known as one of the most heinous. I mean, they were, they were, they were torturers. They were terrible, terrible people. So whenever it was rumored that the Assyrians would be attacking somebody, they were, they were so brutal in the way they would handle captives. So be patient for just a second. I want to just give you an idea. Where Jonah lived in Israel, that border was the most attacked border that Assyria ever attacked. So it's important to understand that Jonah probably didn't, had just not heard rumors about Assyria, but he had had family or loved ones that had been impacted by the Assyrians. Okay? I think it's, I think it's important for us to recognize that. So they would torture. They'd be so destructive. And, and, and sometimes they would go in. You, if, you, if you read the, the uh, devotions this week, you, you've heard some of this already. But, but let's just say, you know, you get out there on Interstate 40 and you, and you start watching. If, if we start w- watching the interstate and you start watching the smoke come closer and closer. And you know that these, these are bodies being burned all along the way. Right? And, and they're headed to Russellville. And so what do we do? Well, we know what they're going to do when they get here. They don't just kill you. They'll torture you. In fact, one of their favorite ways to kill people, they would would take men, set them aside, and they would do all of the things that wicked warriors would do to women and little girls. I'm not going to get into all of that. And then they would slaughter them. Okay, so the men, they would skin alive, and they would bury in sand up to their neck. Isn't that nice? You ever, you ever had a little cut and get a little bit of something in it? I've got a little cut on my finger and, you know, you get stuff in there and it, it, it really hurts. Can you imagine your whole body being flayed and being buried in sand up to your neck? And then they would take these wooden pieces, put it under your chin. You can't move your arms. Put it under your chin. Stick it out there. They pull out your tongue and take a nail and drive it into this piece of wood. I said, why would they do that? They would do this in order for you to dehydrate. And it would take days for you to dehydrate. And you would die literally of thirst. But before you would die of thirst, you would have already lost your mind. Because this kind of dehydration and thirst causes, causes craziness. So you can just imagine everywhere you, you go, I mean, they don't, go, they don't dig you back up. So you just go and you see all of these heads all over the place where the Assyrians have been destroying people. So if we see the smoke coming, let me tell you what we're all doing. We have prepared ahead of time 
vats of poison. And we all go down together and take us a drink because it's better when they get here for us to already be dead than to try to fight for ourselves. These are terrible people. In fact, the kings were so proud of their torture. You don't have to, this is not found in scripture, this is found in history books. They were so proud, they would, they would draw hieroglyphics and post it. They would, they would record this as art pictures of what they would do to people to just get them to be so terrified that they would give up before they got there. In fact, it's the first forms of execution uh, by crucifixion were created by the Assyrians. Okay, enough of all that. But you might get an idea of when the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to the capital city of Nineveh and I want you to be angry enough to preach against their sin. And Jonah said, you have got to be out of your mind. Does it make it a little bit more understandable as to why Jonah would have went down to Joppa and paid whatever it cost to go 2,500 miles away. In fact, most commentaries would say that for Jonah to get from Joppa to Tarshish, it would have taken a year of a journey to get there. Jonah wasn't just trying to go, he wasn't just turning his back. He was getting away from the presence of the Lord to the uttermost parts of the earth. God was calling him to the uttermost parts of the earth, but Jonah wanted the othermost parts of the earth. I just made that up right here. Write that down because I will forget that. The word of the Lord will come to you. Do you know how I know that? Because a couple of weeks ago we talked about giving. And some of you said to yourself, you know what? That's something I should consider. I need to really think about being obedient to the Lord in my giving. But you've come up with a lot of excuses since then. Last week we talked about worship and how important worship, living a life of worship was. And some of you have intended to spend time with God every day in His Word so that you could grow in your faith. But... Some of you know that there are people in your life who are lost and desperately need you to speak peace into their life. But, over and over, the word of the Lord comes to us. But, we feel the conviction, we know it's God's word. But, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Somebody has wronged you, and you know that the word the Lord says, forgive as you have been forgiven, but they don't deserve it. You don't know how badly I was hurt. Somebody needs rebuking, and you know it may damage your relationship, so I don't want to do it. Some of you may have or be in a, a relationship, and you know what God wants for marriage, and you're, act, you're living in your own freedoms. So God says that you are to keep sex within marriage, but I know better. Who does it hurt? So I think for most people, <clears throat> we hear the word of the Lord, I care what God says, but I don't care about what God says more than I care about what I say. We still care a whole lot more about what we feel, what we think, what we want, than we do what God wants. And folks, that is a dangerous Christianity. In fact, I would even say you can call it what you want, but caring more about what you think and what you value over what God thinks and value is not Christian behavior. Period. Period. You call it whatever you want to call it. Just like Jonah can call himself a prophet. But who is he prophesying to? No one. 
What difference does it matter what you call yourself? Jonah is useless. Just like salt that's lost its savor. Useless. Remember, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. It's kind of like, and if this gets on you, I, I, don't, I don't mean for it to. I'm, I'm not the best parent in the whole wide world. I've got lots of work to do. But this is one thing that my, my Donette and I, we learned a long, long time ago. Um, and, and our kids, even right now, when, when, if they were in here right now and here delayed obedience, disobedience, they would set up a little bit straighter. Uh, it's one of those things that have been talked about in, in, our, in our family uh, since all of them were little. So it's kind of like that parenting technique where you have to beg your kids to do something. A lot of parents use that as a parenting technique, begging your kids to be obedient. Listen, you don't beg your kids to be obedient, right? And I don't know who created the, do you want me to come over there? Listen, that's the devil, folks. Don't parent like that. You won't let them do that. If they're playing in the street, you're not going to say, hey, do you want me to come over there? Right? One, two, three. I'm going to count to three. If you don't obey me by three, listen, I know that that seems so insignificant. But if we're going to obey God that way, we're going to get hit in the street a lot. God doesn't give us a, do you want me to come over there? He doesn't give us a, I'm going to count to three. He parents us with, here is the clear command, you obey the first time. And that's how we have to start teaching our children to respect our authority so that one day when God speaks, they'll respect His authority the first time He speaks. Not like we have some options to play. I remember pastoring in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and there was a family, i got to be really careful, but uh, and there was a family who, mom, the two girls were in the swimming pool together and they were fighting with each other. And I thought this was a great illustration. We weren't there, but we, mom told us about it. Uh, they were fighting with each other, and the mom kept telling them over and over and over, quit fighting, quit fighting, quit fighting, quit fighting. And finally said, okay, the next one of you that hits the other one, I'm going to spank you. And the oldest one just reached out and busted the youngest one and said, well, it was worth it. <laughs> and I just think that's really funny. I mean, I think if we parent that way, that's a really dangerous, like we have some options at the end. I mean, God wants us to do something. Well, let me consider what the consequences would be. Okay, well, it's worth it. I'll be disobedient. It'll be worth it. I'm sure that's what Jonah thought. I'm the prophet of God. God wants me to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. What are the consequences, Lord? What are you going to do? It's worth it. Until you realize it's not. Okay, so... What I, want to, what I want you to do is, is to kind of think about this, and this is, this is a little bit close to home, okay? Uh, I want you to think about the direct command of God. The direct command of God. God, the Word of the Lord came to you. And I want you to think about your active obedience. Now, you can take any of the commandments... Anything that Jesus, Jesus, you say you love Jesus, Jesus said, here's how you'll know that you are mine if you have love for one another. Here's how you know, the disciples came to Jesus and said, how do we know if we really love you? Jesus said, you'll know if you keep my commands, if you do the things I tell you to do. So here is the word of the Lord and here is your obedience. Here's how you can mark your Christian maturity. We'll call it lag time. How much lag time is there between God speaks and your obedience. You think you're a mature Christian, but if there's a lag time, that's what determines your immaturity in your faith. Some of us may still be measuring lag time because we know what God wants, but we're just shifting away from Nineveh and headed to another port city. Maybe God won't notice. Maybe He'll call somebody else to do that thing He wanted me to do. And all the while, we call ourselves the prophet of God, the people of God, the messenger of God, the testimony of God's goodness and mercy. We come to church on Sunday mornings and we lift our hands and we sing our songs, but we have our backs set on what God has called us to do. So what I would say about that is your mark of maturity is your lag time. 
your lag time. Number two. Sometimes, if, so, so here's Jonah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing like big time, okay? God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, preach against them. There is no point in preaching in Nineveh if there's not a chance at repentance. There's no point. And Jonah recognizes that. I want them to have an opportunity to experience my mercy. Jonah, very directly, turns his back against the Lord heads toward Tarshish. And while he is walking down to Joppa to get on the boat, he is telling himself this. I don't know if I heard God right or not. Lord, if it's your will, if it's your will for me to avoid this commandment, let there be a boat in the port going the opposite direction. All of a sudden, it becomes a choice. And lo and behold... When Jonah gets to the port, there she is. The answer to his prayer. So, here's point number two. You will always find a boat going the opposite direction. You will always find a boat headed to Tarshish. You'll always be able to justify your disobedience and feel good about it. It's because you have an enemy. And he is setting you up to fail. Sometimes you're not running. I mean, again, Jonah is running a long way. You know how much money it takes to pay mariners to get on their boat, a cargo ship, to travel for a year? Well, it doesn't matter how much it costs. It's not Nineveh. (laughs) I know how much that costs. Well, That's how much it costs if you don't trust the Word of the Lord. The problem was Jonah did not trust that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord. That's what it really boiled down to, is God, the Jonah was not convinced that God was good. That He would be good for the Ninevites, that He would be good for Israel, and that He would be good for him. And so Jonah has to take the decision into his own hands. So, I'm... I'm not going to be able to get as far as I wanted today, but some of us, depending on the circumstances, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your activity, maybe it's your distractions, maybe it's some other form of relationship, or maybe it's your work, or maybe it's your neighbors, or maybe it's there's all sorts of things that God has called us to obey The word of the Lord has come very clearly to us what He expects. And we're running. Some of you are running from that which you know. You know right now you're being disobedient. Some of you, of us, we know what we should be doing, but we're already on the boat and we're drifting. I remember Donette and I, we went to... I know I just suffer with us for a moment. Just the summer before we moved here, we went to Hawaii, served the Lord there for a little while. And uh, somewhere or another, it sounds like there's like I don't know something better about saying it that way. We went on a we went on we were chaperones for a senior trip at a school that we were a part of in Nashville. And so while we were there, we were going to go learn how to surf. Doesn't that sound nice to be able to say that you learned how to surf in Hawaii? So we learned how to surf in a swimming pool, and then in the afternoon we went out to the ocean. And I, I don't even remember, I don't remember her story about it, but I remember mine. And I'm getting out there and I'm trying my best to catch a wave, right? And I cannot do it. I just can't do it. Now, I don't like lots of adrenaline stuff. I'd rather just watch her do it. Uh, but somewhere or another, I'm out there in the ocean. And did you know, it's really bizarre. Sometimes the, sa- the wave can push you toward the shore and sometimes... It doesn't. And so I'm out there trying to catch one of them that's going to people. And I, by the time I give up, I'm absolutely exhausted. I mean exhausted. And I'm laying on this stupid surfboard. And I'm trying to paddle to the shore. And now by now I realize... I don't even recognize those buildings that's in front of me. 
I didn't realize it because I was focused on the water. And I was trying to get on. I was looking behind me and doing all that stuff. And I have drifted so far, I didn't even recognize. And I thought, even if I did get to shore, I don't know any of these people. Where am I supposed to turn in this stupid surfboard? My mind's telling me all kinds of stuff. And I'm telling you, that's probably the most exhausted I'd ever been in my entire life. I couldn't even hardly lift my arms to paddle. And then you know what I did? I panicked. And I jumped off the surfboard. And I thought, this thing's just holding me back. Did you know that that thing was holding me up? (laughs) And now I'm treading water in the Pacific Ocean with a surfboard wrapped around my ankle. (laughs) And I'm trying my best to get to shore. I'm telling you, it was was a terrible thing. There's a lot of, I could make it be funny, but I don't don't have time. Uh, I did not realize how far I had drifted before it was too late. And so sometimes you're running in opposition to God's will. And you think, some of, some of us think that we're just going to wait right here until we get the courage to obey. I promise you, you're never setting still in disobedience. You're always drifting. Always drifting. And you don't realize it until it's too late and you realize how far you've gone. And some of us will give up rather than doing the right thing because it's so far to get back I deal with that probably it's the most common thing I deal with as a pastor people not realizing how far they drift and they start feeling the consequences of the drift and then they realize is it even worth fixing now no I'm just going to give up I'm going to give up on my kids I'm going to give up on marriage I'm going to give up on my job I'm going to give up on these people I'm going to give up I'm going to give up I'm going to give up So, listen to this. This is how much God loves Jonah and the Ninevites. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Who's responsible for the great wind? The Lord. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. These are pagans. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. This was their money. This was the whole point of the trip. They hurled the cargo into the, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Well, good for Jonah. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Maybe you have a different one. And perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's funny to me that the pagans were more prone to pray than the prophet of God. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and of what people are you? So in other words, they're looking for more answers. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They have more compassion for this foreigner than God's prophet does for foreigners. They look more like the voice of God than Jonah does. And he's the prophet. So they said, what's your name? Who are you? Where do you live? What's your job? Why could you possibly have brought this upon us? What is Jonah? How does Jonah start out? I'm a Hebrew. That wasn't the first question, but that was his first answer. Because he is devout to his people, but not to his God. He thinks he is. He calls himself the prophet. I'm a Hebrew. And I, what? Fear the Lord. Do you, Jonah? Do you really? Why are you headed in that direction? Why are you headed east or west when God said to go east? Do you really fear the Lord? Most translations would say, I worship the Lord. 
Do you worship the Lord Jonah? Because of everybody on the boat, you're equally disobedient to God right now. And they don't even know his name. Sometimes God sends a great storm in our life because He loves us so much. He wants to keep us from disobedience. So all of a sudden this storm brings up the God talk again. Listen, I want, I want you to... I'm going to go ahead and, and, and close. But I, I want you to recognize something here this morning. That just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't make you one. Just because you attend church when it's convenient for you doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you own a Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Christian would mean Christ-like or like Christ. A follower of Jesus. And Jesus isn't standing here right now, so how do I follow Jesus? Obedient to the Word of the Lord when it comes upon us. When the Holy Spirit comes like a dove of peace and tells me what I ought to do to look like Jesus, and I obey the Holy Spirit's word in my life, and it heads me to truth, that's how you know that you're a Christian, when you choose God's way over your way. That's how you know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, is the lag time in your life gets shorter and shorter because you become more and more aware of God's faithfulness to your good. That's how you know that you are in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Not the things that you profess, not the things that you declare, but who you belong to. And so many, I think it's the number one issue in American churches today, is that we call ourselves one thing, but our back is set against obedience. Making our own choices, doing our own thing, calling ourselves God's people, calling ourselves worshipers. But we're on the wrong boat. So sometimes God has to stir storms up in our life. Not every storm, not every storm is because of disobedience. But every disobedience will have a storm. And it's not because God's angry. It's because God loves us. Why in the world would God allow Jonah to get away with this? So, in closing, here's what I would say. Is that when God sends the storm, it is to rebuke us, to set our sails back toward obedience, because the call is still valid. The opportunity to be obedient still is available. There's a, there's a verse in Exodus chapter 22, and it's actually the Ten Commandments. And there's the, one of the commandments, I want you to listen to this very, very closely. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to use shock value. But one of the commandments is, is thou shalt not take the Lord God's name in vain. You know that one? And we usually, we usually kind of cringe when we hear people say God's name and they don't really mean it. Uh, but but the, most Jews, although that, we would interpret it that way, we shouldn't be callous with God's name and short with God's name like that. But the Hebrew word for take is kind of like the same way we use it in English. In, uh, in Kentucky, if you were to help someone get from one place to another, you take them there. When we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, you carry them somewhere. I, just, I hear it both ways here occasionally. I guess it depends on where people are from. But these words are interchangeable, and they're interchangeable in Hebrew too. Most Jews interpret this particular command is thou shalt not carry the Lord's name in vain. It means that there are so many of us who walk around carrying the name of God, but it doesn't mean anything to our lives. It's a violation of everything that God is, is to carry His name around in vain. We better be very careful who we tell the world we worship. We better be very careful what we tell God our devotions are. Because there's a storm to turn us around. Now, did Jonah have a choice? I think maybe he did. I'm not sure. But Jonah in his depression, Jonah in his defeat, is ready to die. Jonah isn't, Jonah isn't going back to Nineveh at this point. Jonah's just getting off the boat. 
to his death. The next verse says, And the Lord provided. That's much different than hurled. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and to protect him. Not just to carry him. He's going to have to do this for three days because Jonah's going to have to experience some silence, some abandonment, some separation so that he can reprioritize his life. Well, so I hope that you'll continue to be here each week as we break this down and see the relevance in our own life because I am convinced that God Himself has a word for us as individuals and for us as a church. And we have got to begin to walk in daily obedience and stop excusing our disobedience. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word and how it comes to us. As often as we open it, Your word could not be more clear about what it looks like to walk in the dust of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for your convicting power. I pray that as we know the things that we have said yes to, but we have not fulfilled the things that, that you have spoken with clarity and we keep with a, well, I might later, a maybe. Lord, there are some areas of our life that we're just living in rebellion, running away from doing the thing you've called us to. But there's many areas in our life where we're just out on the sea, drifting further and further away. Maybe even fast asleep. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would grab a hold of us and teach us what it looks like to make it back to shore and to be obedient, knowing that, that our fear, our fear, well, the thing that we tell ourselves we think will bring us peace, but it's truly our, our greatest fears. And so help us to realize that our greatest fears are absolutely nothing in light of your perfect peace. So Lord, I pray that we would be at peace and bring peace wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope that this message has brought you closer to finding and following Jesus. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.